0: The potential exposure of healthcare infrastructure to cyber attack presents an increasing threat to clinical systems and to patient well-being. Health systems and medical practices can take steps to ensure that staff are prepared to respond to such attacks and to mitigate their harmful effects. I'm Stephen Morrissey, managing editor of the New England Journal of Medicine. And I'm talking with Eric Paraxlis, chief science and digital officer at the Duke Clinical Research Institute. Dr. Paraxlis has written a perspective article about cybersecurity threats in healthcare. Dr. Praxels, could you explain the various forms that a cyber attack might take and how common are such attacks?
1: The way I think about cybersecurity and other elements around the internet is that as medicine changes, as medicine moves into technologies, often there are side effects that come with those new technologies, just like many other parts of medicine. And the digitization of healthcare over the last decade has led to a massive increase in the variety and the velocity and the veracity of cyber attacks that are affecting medicine. Everything from things like ransomware, where systems are locked and more or less held for hostage unless you can restore them on your own or pay ransom, to more disruptive attacks like we see in more cyber war scenarios like what's been going on in Ukraine over the last year. Another interesting element of cyber security vernacular is something called the black swan. A black swan is a low probability, high impact event. So even though the probability is low, the impact is so high you prepare for it. Another black swan that I talk about in healthcare are fires. I mean, we've been doing fire drills our whole career. Every hospital has fire departments. Everybody does this. Most of us have never experienced a fire, but most of us have been part of some type of cyber attack that's happened either in our personal or professional lives. So what types of entities are generally behind these attacks? Oftentimes, there's really three buckets. There's lots of types, but one bucket would be what we call hacktivists. And if you look back to the 2014 New England Journal pieces that Dan Nygren and I wrote, when Children's Hospital was attacked back then, it was an activist attack based on an ongoing custody battle, I believe. So that's when a group just decides they want to disrupt your operations for, to make some type of political or social point. The most common type, though, is still theft. Most people that are stealing records are stealing them so they can sell them. If the average value of a medical record on the market is $250, stealing a million medical records is potentially very lucrative for those folks that do it. The third type of cyber attack, and this is where the definition of cyber war starts coming, is really attacks that are meant to simply disrupt critical infrastructure. And this is what the presidential memo that I refer to in the piece is talking about. So we remember a few years ago, there was the colonial pipeline hack where Russia was was able to show that they could actually disrupt power plant operations or that they could contaminate wastewater by mixing streams, by taking hold of wastewater control systems. So that last type of attack, the disruptive or almost a terrorist-like attack, are the ones that are increasingly of worry as the world becomes more volatile.
0: How much of a threat do cyber attacks pose to the average patient, the average physician, and what kind of harm could be caused to these people?
1: It's really variable. If you're in a very large, well-protected institution that has a good budget and a strong IT department and a strong information security department, like a lot of other things in healthcare, you're probably fine because money is protection and capabilities are protection but there's an increasingly number of of small practices or small clinics. Last year, I wanna say they had the most instances of small clinics actually having to simply close because they couldn't recover from our cyber attack. They couldn't get the patient's records back. They couldn't deal with the liability of it. And so one way to look at it is that different types of protections protect you differentially based on resources. Another thing to think about within that is what we call the attack surface. So if you think of risk, cyber risk we actually think of it like a surface like an area of a football field and the more things you have connected to the internet the larger your football field is your area is the larger your area is the greater probability there is that you actually will suffer a cyber attack and so as we digitize things i wrote a blog for bmj a few years ago after a study was done maybe 2017 and at the time i want to say that the average inpatient in a hospital is connected to something like 15 internet connected devices that's something we have control over, right? That's something that we can limit. How many things we connect to the internet, do all those things really need to be on and connected in that way? These are choices that clinicians and administrators can make.
0: So beyond that issue of number of devices connected to the internet, what protective measures can a health system or a health practice take?
1: I think that there should be two parts of this. One part of it, just how well you can prepare. And most institutions are doing this. They have a cybersecurity department. They have cyber insurance and in general they're trying to lower their risk to have strong controls around their technologies and processes two-factor authentication zero trust networks there's lots of vernacular I could throw but there's lots of what we think of as controls that a lot of hospitals are doing and I think that's getting better than it was some people would vary but in general I think hospitals are far more prepared now than they were five years ago although the threat has gone up the point I tried to make in this piece though is for a slightly different element so assume you've done all the controls, and you still get hacked and the machines go off. What do you do then? What I try to do in this paper is share pieces of a playbook that was designed by the cybersecurity infrastructure security agency, CISA, on exactly what's going on in that moment for several reasons. One, so clinicians would have an idea of what the process is and what's going on in the background while they're on the phone saying, hey, can someone turn the lights back on kind of thing. But also two, so that they could be informed and even think about their own plans. I started my career after one year of college as a hospital engineer at Newton Wellesley Hospital west of Boston as a student intern. And you know, back in 1985, and still, all the outlets in rooms that were connected to emergency power were red. So you knew if there was a red outlet in the room and you plugged into it, that was on a generator. It was supposed to work. We don't have that today with systems like EHRs, and we need that. We need to be able to say that what systems are air-gapped in an emergency what should I be able to depend on? So it's really business um, continuity planning. And if you look at the statistics, it's business continuity planning for something that's far more likely than a fire to happen. And so the basics really do work, though, because if the largest contributor to cyber threat are still thieves, thieves aren't looking for a fight. They're looking for a victim, right? So they go down the line and they're not going to stop at the house with the big, huge dogs and the big wall and the fence and the barbed wire. They're going to go down to the house that has the door wide open and the radio going and the owner asleep in a hammock out front, right? And so I think the better secured environments also get an extra resilience just because people will move on to less secure environments
0: once they start to ping them. It sounds expensive, this sort of protection.
1: It's actually very expensive and people aren't used to it. I would say that if I go back again to that first New England Journal piece in 2014, I'm assuming people are spending a lot more now on cybersecurity than they did then. Spending 5 or 10% more in a big budget, that can sound like a lot, but if your risk has gone up 400%, it might not be. So I think what we're seeing here is people really have to think about their risk, their exposure. How many times have they tested their controls? The most common thing that I've seen as a former CIO at places like Johnson & Johnson and the FDA is, oh, everything's all backed up. And I'll say, okay, restore from it, test it. And then they get all these error messages and they realize, oh, we actually can't restore from our backup. You know, So if they're testing their controls, they're in way better place than if they're not, as an example of something that can be surgically effective. Finally, do you expect
0: attempted cyber attacks to continue to become more common in the future? Or do you think there are actions that can be taken that might reverse the trend?
1: I think that everything is related to the volatility in our culture. I think when you see things like COVID, we know that during COVID, the attack window, the attack area went way up the surface because everybody was doing Zoom calls, everybody was doing telehealth. And so the crime increased with it. It was a bonanza, it was a feeding frenzy. So whenever we see times of vulnerability, attacks will go up. And whenever we see times of big change, like someone's doing a huge upgrade to their system or something like that, there are precipitous events that kind of trigger things. I think it will continue to go up mainly because the methods are getting to be more accessible as criminals become more technology literate. And most of them don't end up getting caught. And if they do get caught, the penalties aren't great. If they're sitting overseas, they're not worried about it. So if you can make a lot of money cause a lot of damage during a crime with low probability of getting caught, it's going to be popular, unfortunately.
0: Thank you, Dr. Paraxlis.